And the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Bay. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. So one of my favorite lines ever in recent TV was in American Horror Story Coven from a couple years back when Emma Roberts' character, Madison, comes back from the den and is like, surprise, bitch, bet you saw the last of me. And guess what? Surprise, bitch, I bet you heard the last of us uh, during our break, but no. Do you want to know why? Why? Because we have a second bonus episode for you guys today. Oh. 1968. It kind of goes back to um, that poll that we did a couple weeks ago that we talked about in the bonus episode 1950. It ended up that 1950 and 1968 tied. So mm -hmm. let's give the people they want what they want. Someday. Which is interesting because uh, 1968 has the infamous tie. Right. I don't know if infamous is the right word, but the, the notorious tie. I would say it's kind of infamous. Yeah. I mean, it's... The backstory it's, behind it. Is so much fun. Yeah. And I'm into it. So you want to do this? Okay. All right. So I'm the one that will rain all over your parade, Joey Gentili. And my moose knuckle has a chalky undertaste, Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so honestly, we to be in all fairness, to let the people know, we don't talk about the intro, really, that we're going to do to introduce ourselves. So we, just, that, we just say which movie we're doing so that we know we're not going to double. Right. Because we almost doubled uh, for Agnes of God, I believe it was. I think, yeah, Agnes of God. Episode. We, we almost had the same intro. Yeah. Uh, but that was fantastic. Kudos to you on that one. So... 1968, it's a good year. Mm -hmm. It's a very good year. I don't know about you personally, but there is not a singular performance. Or, I mean, let me, let me rephrase this. There's not a singular movie that I is in this year for this lineup that I didn't truly enjoy. Yeah, I'd say I didn't dislike any of these movies as a whole. There's yeah. some that I like more than others, and there's some that I appreciate more than others, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's any here that I was repulsed by. Yeah, I mean, there was genuinely each film here... Which, you know, you have Rachel, Rachel, Funny Girl, Faces, the subject was Roses, Isadora, Lion in Winter, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Am I missing any? I don't think so. No. Um, that all of them were just like, just such Americana 19, late 60s. Mm -hmm. Even with Lion in Winter, which was an English, all English production outside of Catherine right. Hepburn. There was just something so American felt with these movies. I don't know if you got that. Yeah, a little bit. There's also something very sexual about all these movies. There's mm -hmm. like a sexual undertone to just about every movie in this lineup. Yeah. And they're all... It's in very different ways. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Was Funny Girl, out of all of these, was the only Best Picture nominee, I think, that year? Or was Lion and Winter? I think Lion and Winter Lion and Winter was part of that, too. I think Rachel Rachel might have been. God, I was just really wrong on that then. That's three <laughs> out of five. God damn. No, but... um. Yeah, we've got uh, the infamous tie, which when we get to lead actress, we can definitely talk about. But we're also talking, I know it's not yours, but this is my favorite Cassavetes film. Right. Oh, Rosemary's Baby, I didn't mention that in the, in the talk there. Oh, of course. Um, 
but Faces is my all-time favorite Cassavetes film, which I believe you said is yours. Oh, is opening Night opening is my night. favorite Cassavetes. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about that one, for sure. Mm-hmm. But without further ado, yeah, shall we? Okay. All right. So your nominees for Best Supporting Actress in 1968 were... Rachel Rachel Estelle Parsons. For The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Sandra Locke. For Funny Girl, Kay Medford. For Rosemary's Baby, Ruth Gordon. For Faces, Lynn Carlin. Okay, so let's kick it off with our winner of the year, Ruth Gordon, winning for Rosemary's Baby. So her Oscar history is pretty interesting. This is her second of two acting nominations and her only win. She has five total nominations, though. She received three nominations for screenwriting prior to any of her acting noms. So she was nominated first for A Double Life in 1947, then Adam's Rib in 1949, and Pat and Mike in 1952, and those are her screenplay nominations. Then she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Inside Daisy Clover in 1965, then winning in 1968 for Rosemary's Baby. Going into this, she wins the Golden Globe and the Kansas City Film Critics, and she's nominated at the Laurel Awards, which are no longer around. In Rosemary's Baby, Ruth Gordon plays Minnie Castavet, the elderly and eccentric next-door neighbor to Mia Farrow and John Cassavetti's Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse. Before long, it becomes clear that Minnie is a part of a cabal of witches who've plotted to impregnate Rosemary with the spawn of Satan, basically. So, thoughts on Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby. So, I really, really like this performance. This was actually, even before I got into, like, Oscar-loving history of myself, um, this was the first performance out of this whole lineup, supporting Anne Lee, that I'd ever seen. Because I... I think me too. Yeah, because I saw... I feel like people see Rosemary's Baby, if you're a horror fan, like, way young. Yeah. And Rosemary's Baby is still one of my all-time favorite horror films. I would honestly rank it for me in my top five. Yeah, it's up there for me. Yeah, and it's really the only Polanski film I truly enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is a great performance. Uh, this is definitely a more well, or this is definitely, for me, a more well-earned nomination, because I don't know if you saw Inside Daisy Clover. Not yet, no. I actually just watched it the other night, and I was like, oof. The, 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 movie, the movie in general is very rough, but um, for her performance-wise, it's way better than the other one. Um, but the, she also has one of my, it's probably my favorite all time acceptance speech, mm -hmm. um, because she gets, uh, Ruth Gordon, it was, su she was such like a comedic person, um, that she got on stage and she's like, she, she talks about, you know, I, I acted in my first film in 1913 or something, like something really stupid early. And she's like, and now it's 1969, although I don't think that I'm backwards and, you know, she's uh -huh. like, finally, you know, it's happening. She goes, for all of you who voted for me, thank you. And for those who didn't, please forgive me. <laughs> and I was just, it was, it's such a great uh, nomination. It's such a great performance. She's genuinely really scary. And um, it's a great win and great speech. I, lo I love it. I do too. Um, she is genuinely scary, although you don't realize it at first. You, yeah. you slowly gather it as the movie goes on, just how sinister this character is. And she's also really funny. Yeah. Which is obvious when you look at her history because she wrote Adam's Rib, which I don't know if you've ever seen Adam's Rib. It's really funny. It's a Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy courtroom comedy where they're they're married and they're also opposing counsel in mm -hmm. the courtroom and it's really funny. So it's clear that she's very in tune with her funny bone. Yeah. And she finds all these really funny moments in this really dark film. Yeah. And even though she's 
technically the villain of the movie in the in a way. She's also kind of the most I don't want to say lighthearted, but she's really funny. Like mm. I don't have another way of putting it. So it's a very um, intricate, twisty performance yeah. that I really dig. And this is a movie that's kind of grown on me the more times I watched it. I think the first time I watched it, I was in like middle school and I kind of got like the bare premise. And I was like, that was good, but I don't really get it. Yeah. And the older you get, it kind of makes a little more sense what's really going on and how this is a movie about women's autonomy yep. and all the really devious things that society does to control women and their bodies mm-hmm. and like this coven of satan worshiping witches are kind of a representation of society they're trying to tell rosemary what to do with her body and how she's not allowed to be in control of herself mm-hmm. and everyone around her is trying to just use her body and kind of destroy her soul yeah i mean it's so fucked up and so good. And I think Ruth Gordon really nails it here. Yeah. Because if she had played just this two-dimensional, evil, crazy old lady, it would have been boring really quick. Yeah, I agree. And it's definitely... Um, I, I enjoy this movie every like a little bit more every time I see it. Yeah, me too. And her role never feels campy. It never, feel, it never feels dated. Um, it's genuinely like a role for the ages and this movie's now 51 years old mm-hmm. and it's still just as amazing as when I first saw it. Now, I don't think I've ever asked you, have you ever been in New York city? Yeah. Once. Did you have, did you go to the Dakota? No. Okay. So, you know, I was recently in New York city. Um, I performed stand up comedy and, and I got booked for a show at Gotham comedy club in Chelsea. So the day I was leaving, I made like an effort to make sure that I went to the Dakota because obviously, you know, huge Beatles fan, of course, the, the tragedy of Don Lennon, but also too, because Rosemary's baby. And I, the day I was leaving before I caught my train back, I got off the A train cause I was staying in upper Manhattan and this is like midtown. This is like central park West area. Yeah. Um, or central park. Yeah. Central park West. And, um, I got off the A train and as soon as you get off the train, it's to your left when you come out of the subway. And there's something so creepy about this building. Like, you see the gargoyles. You see everything. Mm-hmm. I saw where Ruth Gordon and her husband in the movie walked around the corner. I saw where the body would have been. And there's just something that is unnerving about that building. And I am here for it, and I want to live there. However, I didn't realize that... Right, I mean, granted, New York, everything under New York is, the subway system is under throughout the whole city. But if you're living at the Dakota, there's literally the steps to go underneath the subway to go south, right under the building. So all I could think about is, like, if a terrorist attack happened right there, you live in Dakota, you'd be fucked. Huh. Because it is directly, like, if this is the building, this is the subway. Like, it goes under it. Oh, interesting. Right there. And I was just like, oh, but you know, the building, of course, is famous. Lauren Bacall lived there. Um, Rex Reed lives there currently. Uh, Gilda Radner, Rosie O'Donnell, they, they live there or used to live there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a creepy ass building. I mean, the, the building must have been famous before the novel was even written because after watching the movie, I downloaded the audiobook, which is read by Mia Farrow. Is it? And I'm about like a fifth of the way through it. Mm-hmm. And it's at the part where they're trying to find an apartment and they reference the Dakota. Yeah. In the book. Like yeah. they're like they were looking at living in the Dakota. 
Because you brought her up, how do you feel about, because a lot of people say Mia Farrow was robbed for Rosemary's Baby, like she should have had a nomination. How do you feel about that? I would have given it to her. I like her a lot in this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, a, I know I'm the minority here. I'm, I don't think Mia Farrow can act her way out of a paper bag. I, I, for mm -hmm. me, she's the most hammy thing about that movie. Like, I think she's terrible in that movie. Um, but that's just me not liking Mia Farrow in general. Mm -hmm. Like, she, she's not my, like, Glenn Close or anything. But she's not, like, an Like, I don't go to a movie because I'm like, Mia Farrow's in it. You know? Well, her days are kind of... Her, her, her whole life now is... Her whole controversy kind I'd of I'd like to see her come back with something, see what she does. But um, I thought she was actually really creepy in the Omen remake. Oh, I forgot she was in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do like her in this. I think she really captures the terror and everything that Rosemary's going through really well. Mm -hmm. Like, with this movie being about women in the time, and even now, with how they weren't allowed to be in control of anything, and how they hardly had any independence and agency of their own, I think she really captures that, because mm -hmm. I, I think when I first saw the movie, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, I was like, I don't really understand where the craft is, right. but I think she's really channeling what the movie's going for and what it's trying to say about women and how she is sort of trapped and not allowed to be her own representative. Yeah. So I think that, like the movie itself, I think I appreciate her performance more every time I watch it. Mm -hmm. It's Rosemary's Baby is one of those movies that truly does seem to grow with me yeah. a, as the years go by, and I think um, her performance does as well. Understood. I can get into it. Um, I will say, too, I really like, which I hear, I only hear complaints about this from people who have just seen it or, like, quote-unquote modern watchers of this movie, is they hate that you never see the baby. You just kind of see, like, the eyes. I'm totally okay with that. I'm okay with it. Because it's like the Blair Witch Project. I honestly consider that, like, the scariest movie of all mm -hmm. time because you never truly get to see it. and It's like your mind fucking with you. I, I love it. I think whatever your mind is coming up with is much worse than whatever the movie would have right. been able to show you, especially at the time. Yeah. And Mia Farrow's reaction to seeing her baby, I think, is all you really need. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm into it. I like Rosemary's Baby a lot. I do, too. So, moving on? Yeah, sure. Perfect. So, our, our next nominee is Lynn Carlin, nominated for Faces. This is her first and only nomination. And she did not win anything going into Oscar night, but she was nominated at the National Society of Film Critics Awards. And in Faces, Lynn Carlin plays Mia Forst. Her husband, Richard, is carrying on an affair with another woman, played by Jenna Rollins. And he eventually leaves M Maria for uh, Jeannie, the Jenna Rollins character. And so she decides to take up her own affair with a younger man. So thoughts on Lynn Carlin and Faces? Well, again, I already mentioned that Faces is my favorite Cassavetes film. Yeah. Um, so as a whole, the movie, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Every time I come across it, at, like to rent or whatever, I get. I honestly really should buy a copy. Um, Lynn Carlin is brilliant here. Like as a debut performance, it's really good. She was actually working for Bob Altman when she got this job, oh. and he fired her because because she was reading opposite people for Cassavetes. Like, she was his assistant? She was his Altman's assistant. Oh, wow. And um, Cassavetes had an office across from Altman at the time, and Carlin was, Lynn was available to read opposite actors, and Bob didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So he fired her, and then she got a nomination, and unfortunately never really had, like, a big career. I know she was nominated for a BAFTA, like, a couple years after that for something else. But for this performance, I, I it's so realistic. It's, it's one of those performances where I forget that I'm watching acting because it's so natural um and 
whether it's her and John Marley, who plays her husband, smoking cigarettes. By the way, everything about this 1960s decor, I love it. Mm -hmm. And with their house and late 60s LA. I mean, there's a scene where, when I lived in LA, I used to work for the Viper Room, which is across from the Rainbow Room. Mm -hmm. And, or wait, am I thinking? Yeah. Or no, the, uh, the uh, Whiskey A Go-Go. It's across from the Whiskey A Go-Go. That's where they go. And um, so, like, living in L.A. and seeing the Whiskey Go-Go and being in there and seeing what it was like in the late 60s is, like, it, it's an orgasm for me. Um, but her performance is so realistic and heartbreaking and really makes you think kind of, like, of your own life. Like, are you that happy? What would happen if you were in that situation? And I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, performances in Cassavetti's films just in general are unlike performances in any other movie. Yeah. Um, especially for the time. It's clear that he's he himself is an actor. Mm-hmm. Like he is almost more so an actor behind the camera than he is a director. Like mm-hmm. he's completely there yeah. for his players. And Lynn Carlin is no exception. She's mm-hmm. wonderful here. Um, you really feel the naturalism in her performance. And I think I feel so bad for her character more than anyone else in this movie. Mm-hmm. Of course, some a lot, some of the people in this movie are a little bit despicable. But Lynn Carlin is who my heart goes out to. I mean, her husband really treats her like shit and totally just leaves her for Jenna Rollins. And she says, fuck it. And she's fed up with it. And she goes and gets herself a guy and at like a nightclub, I think it is, and then brings him home. And I think it's great. It's a wonderful little roller coaster of an arc, but a very like subtle roller coaster. Yes. And her character in particular goes through so many... Um, emotions and weaves in and out of so many states of being mm-hmm. so naturally. Well, she'll go from being like the happiest, most content person in the world to having this breakdown to laughing to thinking that she's happy again while she's really being torn apart inside. And there's so many layers. It's like a, like a fun house mm-hmm. that she's showing you. And it's so complex that it really draws me in. Yeah, It's a really beautiful performance. I'm not going to lie. Um, I've taken... So... One of my numerous things in life that I do, occasionally I'll get paid to like ghostwrite on things, and I have taken so much inspiration to like from faces in my writing. Um, when it comes to because like I've ghost written and doctored like uh, like scripts and whatnot for people, and um, I take a lot of my inspiration through faces. I want to remake this movie so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, but it, it, this has to be a remake that is skeleton crew, camera in your face, no permits, done, like, kind of like Francis Ha in a way, mm-hmm. how they shot that. But I need, there is no filmmaker like Cassavetes in today's era. And I want to be, I want to leave that charge. No, but I, I want to remake this so bad because I feel like there, you can't do this as a studio remake. This would have to right. be a hundred percent independent, unknown cast, submit it to festivals, but then it, it would be like, what would you, you know what I mean? Cause then there's the legal shit. You can't just copy something. Someone has to get paid, yada, yada, yada. But this is like, I need a Cassavetti style filmmaker to come back and it has to be for faces. There's just, I want this remade so bad. And Side note, so Lynn Carlin is never kind of really, like, her, like, 
capitalized off this Oscar. She mm. like never really quote unquote had a career, unfortunately, but she's still alive. She's yeah. living in mid our uh, uh, northern LA. I actually two years ago tracked her ass down because I'm a creeper like that. Um, no, I, I tracked her down because at the time I was working on a, a doctoring a script and faces had come up and I was like, whatever happened to her? And I actually found her daughter and was like, I would like to interview her to get some insight on Maria. And we set up an interview and unfortunately it just never went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never have been able to get a hold of her daughter ever since. But she's alive and she's kicking it and I kind of wish that she would come back to do something. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. But yeah, that's Lynn Carlin. That's Lynn Carlin. That's Lynn Carlin. Our next nominee is Sandra Locke, nominated for The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. This is her first and only nomination. She does not win anything going into Oscar night, but she was nominated at the Golden Globes for Supporting and for Newcomer, and also at the Laurel Awards for Supporting and for Newcomer. But she doesn't win either of those. In The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Sandra Locke plays Margaret Kelly, a.k.a. Mick, the blossoming daughter of Alan Arkin's landlady, Alan Arkin's character named Singer develops a bit of a bond with Mick and they grow pretty close over time and he sort of guides her through all of the pressures that come with being a teenage girl. So thoughts on Sandra Locke and the Heart is a Lonely Hunter. I have three instant thoughts. One is rest in peace girl because we just lost her to cancer this past year. Um, Number two is great performance but number three is wrong category. I was thinking that while watching it. Yeah, I really, really like Sandra Locke here. I think she could have really been a contender had she been in the lead category almost. Um, but I I can't, because she's in almost every scene of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take her character out, there really is no movie, because she kind of moves the particles along for every character. Um, and it's... She's another one who, unfortunately, well, Clint Eastwood fucked her career up. Yeah, he did. But um, she's she's really good here. I think when I mentioned earlier, there like I enjoy every movie here. While I enjoy The Heart Is a Lonely Hunter, Hunter, I would never seek it out. Like if it was on TV, I'd totally watch it again. Yeah. But out of the most enjoyable, this is the one I probably enjoy, quote unquote, the least. Yeah. This, uh, the Heart is a Lonely Hunter kind of lacks the edge that I think it really needs to get over the line. Um, I think this, the bare bones of it are really good. And I know this book was a huge sensation when it first came out. Mm-hmm. It was like very like in the zeitgeist, but I feel like the movie is a little, plays it a little too safe. Yeah. Um, as far as her performance goes, I think she has a real naturalism to her. It kind of reminded me of when we talked about Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver. Okay. That she has a lot of really interesting things going for her. You can really see the talent in there and her, um, the attention that she pays to her craft and the great actress that she was going to become or could have become had Clint Eastwood not fucked over her career like he did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of agree with you. She really is writing the line for me, leaning toward lead actress here because she is sort of the glue that holds this whole story together. Yeah. Even though the movie begins with Alan Arkin's character and the movie kind of wants you to think that it's his story, it's almost just as much hers. She's always like right there next to him. Or whatever's happening on screen is happening because of her character, or she's swooping in to sort of resolve or add to the situation. Mm-hmm. It's she's almost she's too integral for me to be supporting in a way, and so I think that's something I'm gonna have to consider when we do our rankings. But um, I think she's really great here. Yeah. Um, it's too bad that her career ended really soon, and then of course we lost her recently. 
Yeah. And I think she she kind of reminded me a little bit of like Sissy Spacek. I feel like she could have oh, had yeah. I feel like she could have had a similar trajectory as Sissy Spacek had things gone a little differently. Yeah. Um I think she's really good here. You know, I to go to really quick bounce off of if things had gone a little differently for those who don't know. Um unfortunately, we're especially back then, but there's still moments today well, not, maybe not so much now that Weinstein and Me Too happened and whatnot, but it's, you know, I feel like Sandra Locke was the first, quote unquote, out there actress to tell her story about how a man derailed her career because she didn't do what he wanted. Yeah. And uh, it was due to a personal level. So Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke were like together. Right. And I don't remember if they got married or they were going to get married, but she wanted to break up. And there was, or no, they were married because it was part of the divorce because he had this contract with Warner Brothers and she was a part of it. That Warner Brothers was supposed to do a film for her and pretty much because Clint Eastwood was the, was the moneymaker of the WB, mm-hmm. um, he was able to really control what they did. So fucked her out on all this money, really like fucked with her career, made sure she didn't get hired. And you know what? It's shitty. Like, it's shitty that women were used as such pawns. They were under the control of these men. And she never had a chance to kind of bounce back. And Hollywood really turned its back on her. And it's really sad. Yeah, because she really was a true talent. You can see it when you watch Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Like, even though the movie is a little bit lacking in some departments, you can see how powerful of an actress she could have grown to be had she been... Um, given the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it just didn't happen for her, and that's really shitty. Yeah, it's just no bueno all around. But as for Heart is a Lonely Hunter, yeah, she's really good. I believe her. Mm -hmm. I believe, even though she wasn't a kid, I totally believe she looked like a child. Yeah, I I completely bought that she was, I think, 16 is what they say she is. Yeah. But unfortunately for me, she suffers what I see too often for really good performances when we talk about these, is that she's in the wrong category. Yeah. And bonus in the movie, we got a very young um, Cicely Tyson. Yeah, I really like Cicely Tyson in this. Yeah, I honestly could have seen if this movie came out now, Cicely would have been up for a supporting actress. I actually thought while watching it that if Sandra Locke had gone for lead, they could have put Cicely in supporting. I could have seen them both getting nominated for this. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah, totally. So our next nominee is Kay Medford, nominated for Funny Girl. This is her first and only nomination. Um, She does get a Laurel um, nomination going in, but that was pretty much it. In Funny Girl, Kay Medford plays Rose Bryce, the mother to Barbara Streisand's Fanny Bryce. So thoughts on Kay Medford and Funny Girl? I really like her in this. She doesn't have a whole lot to do. Yeah. I mean, she literally only has about 10 minutes of screen time in like a two and a half hour film. Right. So I, I meant this in a I almost like give something away I mentioned this if you think back to an episode that we did of season two where I was like if you have sorry you might have just heard that um if you <laughs> I'm so subtle if you have such a little screen time in such a big epic you have to make do with what you can do mm-hmm. and I think she does that here it is the quintessential Jewish mother um she's stern she's funny um it's a little little stereotypical but I like it. I think I think her line delivery is on point. I think that while she doesn't, to be honest with you, I okay. So Funny Girl is great in the first half. After the intermission, it's kind of like a slug of a movie. Yeah, the first half is much better than the second. Yes, and I think I would argue that Kay Medford's brief scene in the second half is the best part of the second half because mm. it's the scene where she sits down with Barbara and she's like, "This is your husband. He's a mess. Get it the fuck together." And she sells it. 
I, I like it a lot. Yeah. She's really charming in this. Uh, she does have just a couple, two, maybe two or three scenes. And it's not very much in this very large film. But I think she is really charming mm-hmm. in the scenes that she's in. It is a little bit stereotypical, but you just kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, she did get a smile out of me. Um, it's hard to stand out when you only have so many, so few minutes in such a large film. But I think she does the best with what she has to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite remember her as much as, say, other people in the movie and some, you know, the musical numbers, of course. But I think she really works with what she has to work with. Mm-hmm. And I don't fault her for it. And I'm just happy that she got nominated for it. I think it's a really, it's a fun nomination. It might be, maybe some people would call it a coattails and perhaps in some way it is, but I think she's really fun here. Yeah. And apparently she had a larger role, but it's kind of infamously known that Barbara Streisand had such control for some reason over this movie or being a quote unquote, well, she was a new actress to film, but to film, to film, but she really had William Wyler under her fingernails there. Because I guess, like, Kay Medford had, like, a solid half hour worth of work that was just cut from this movie. Oh, interesting. And I'm, it, the footage was, I don't think it's ever been released. And I would, I'd be really interested to see it. But I know a lot of people take issue with this nomination. Like, a lot of people don't like this one. Mm. Um, which I get. I, I can see why. But I, I think it doesn't get the respect it deserves because this is the Barbara Streisand show. Yeah, I mean, you don't think, like I said, you don't think of Kay Medford. You think right. of Funny Girl, you think of Barbara. Right. And maybe Omar Sharif and, of course, the numbers. But um, I'd, be, I'd like to see what the other material looked like. I know this is based on a stage musical, right? Well, it's based on Fanny Bryce, who was a real person. Right. Yeah. And then I think it became a... Yes. I think it is now a stage musical. I don't know if it, it was, was prior. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm wondering if uh, maybe that has, gives her more to do, the character? Yeah, but she, she never got a Tony nomination. And Kay Metford played... The, like, the mother and daughter from the stage transferred over to film, so it was Barbara and Kay again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she never got a Tony nomination for it, so it it, it kind of makes me wonder how much more she had to do, and she was never never able to pull a Tony nom out of this. So maybe this is a coattail, but if it is a coattail, it's a good coattail. Not all coattails are inherently bad. No, some are no, fun. No. Um, side note: Do you know who Sue Mengers is? No. So Sue Mengers. Oh my God! If you ever get a chance, go home. And YouTube, uh, Bette Midler did a one-woman show a couple years ago on the life of Sue Mangers, and Sue Mangers was an infamous balls to the wall blunt ass cunty uh, manager of the uh, stars of the set 60s and 70s it's amazing as a gay man I'm just like give it give me all the tea <laughs> um, but I so Sue Banger is like represented like Ryan O'Neill Alan McGraw Barbara Streisand um, uh, Robert Redford like all these if people if you were nominated for an Oscar in the 70s pretty much she managed pretty <laughs> much but in the mid 60s she managed Kay Medford and then Barbara came around and even after the nominations um, I, I guess Kay and Barbara were working on a show in New York and um, Sue had come down into or into the back and was going, Barbara, Barbara, where's Barbara? And this is, again, true story. You can look this up. And uh, Kay was like, Sue? Sue, is that you? And Sue's going, Barbara, where's Barbara? She goes, it's me, Kay. I'll be right out. And she goes, Kay who? And totally like fired her. That was a shade. Jet and went right to Barbara. So I kind of feel bad for Kay Medford wow. because like she a never capitalized on this Oscar, and b never really like had a career in film or anything after this. Mm. So it's kind of sad. Yeah, a little bit. We've had two like sad stories in a row. Yeah, right. Womp womp. Well, <laughs> our, our next nominee <laughs> transitioning is Estelle Parsons, nominated for Rachel Rachel. This is her second of two nominations, winning the year before for Bonnie and Clyde. And going into this, she wins the Laurel Award, and that's about it. 
in Rachel Rachel, Estelle Parsons plays Calla Mackey, the friend and fellow unmarried teacher to Joanne Woodward's Rachel Cameron. She's somewhat pious and encourages Rachel to attend a revival meeting, and she's also she also may have a bit of a crush on Rachel, perhaps. So thoughts on Estelle Parsons and Rachel Rachel? Estelle Parsons giving us big dyke realness here. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is a good nomination. I wouldn't call it great. I think I think we're getting Estelle Parsons as Estelle Parsons here. And especially coming off of... Because uh, this is her second and most recent, but her consecutive nomination. Sure, back to back. Back to back, because she won the previous year again for Bonnie and Clyde. Um, to where she's giving us a whole different character. I mean, this is a complete 180. Um, Rachel, Rachel, how I mentioned, like, oh, I love the late 60s feel of Faces. Uh, and you got, like, big city LA with Faces. I love the Connecticut, like hot summer feel of Rachel Rachel. Um, and anyone who knows me knows that I hate summer, but like, mm-hmm. I love the feel of this movie. It's so cool. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a trippy movie because it's like, is it a culty movie? Is it a religious movie? Is it a, an LGBT movie? What is this movie? Um, but it, it, it kind of like makes me sad that we, we nominate Estelle Parsons as Estelle Parsons here, but when you see her, Let's see, 1968, So three years later, for I never sang for my father. I don't know if you saw that. Not yet. And I don't know if I mentioned this when we did 71, but she is brilliant in I Never Sang for My Father. Now that is a supporting actress nomination. This here I think is fine. I wouldn't like write off home about it, but I think it's um I think it's a good nomination. Yeah. Um I like like we said with our um conversation in our previous bonus episode, 1950, with Caged, I think this is a movie that could see a resurgence in the queer community. I, mm-hmm. I could see this being a movie that the queer community really latches onto because it has all of that sort of sexual suppression going on mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people find really fascinating, especially for the time. Because, mm-hmm. um, of course, we'll get to Joanne Woodward soon, but there's a lot of like small-town pressure going mm-hmm. on amongst these characters. Because Estelle Parsons, uh, Kala, is... Definitely somewhere on the queer spectrum. Yeah. Um, and I think that really resonates through her character. Maybe um, this performance isn't quite as mind-blowing as her Bonnie and Clyde one. Maybe there's a little bit of afterglow going on, but I don't think this is a bad nomination by mm-hmm. any means. And I think she really shines here. I think maybe she is a little more down to earth, maybe a little more natural in this. And so you kind of forget that she's playing a character. And I think that's kind of a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really nice nomination. Um, it's too bad that we, this is the last time we see her at the Oscars. Yeah. Considering it's that. It's been too long. Yeah. But um, I think she's still with us actually. She is. She's kicking it. And she is a goddamn gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Um, so she played Meryl, or Meryl's, well, it was originally her role, um, but the Meryl Streep role in August Osage County on stage. Oh, did she? And I would have loved to see that translate to film because I think oh, wow. like that would have been a great resurgence for her for the film. But um, she, you know, got a whole new fan base playing Roseanne's mom and Roseanne, and she, mm-hmm. of course, came back for the Roseanne revival, and well, now it's the Connors. Uh, but um, I love it. And she's such a New York actress, too. Mm-hmm. She's so into it. And she was actually, um, she's still playing on stage. She's a five-time Tony nominee. I can't believe she hasn't won. Wow. Um, but if you also get a chance to YouTube, YouTube Estelle Parsons' Oprah. And there's a video from maybe four years ago where mm-hmm. like she takes you on a tour of her New York home. And she's just, like, flipping off the camera. And she's, like, she's like waddling because she's really into, like, fitness. So she's, like, 
waddling away. She's like, don't fucking follow me. It, <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. So check it out on YouTube. Estelle Parsons, Oprah. And it's like, where are they now? Or something like that. Yeah, she's a pretty eccentric person, which I think really works here in this character. Because mm -hmm. as like down to earth, I guess you could say this character is, there's some really interesting facets to her. Like mm -hmm. this like small town suppression that's going on. Because I mean, she's an, uh, she's an older-ish unmarried teacher, which you know is code for lesbian. Yeah. Or closeted lesbian. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but where was I going with that? Uh, so Parsons eccentric. Uh, I think like this is a very internal performance in yeah. a way. It's not as showy yeah. as it could have been. And I think she really shines through here. I think she really makes the material work and I enjoy just about every scene that she's in. I think she, my eyes like going to her all the time. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't definitely don't hate this at all. I just think it's very okay. Yeah. You know? I mean I don't I don't like rave about Rachel Rachel in general. Right. But like I like the movie, but it's like, all right, I see it. Yeah. But I'm not like, woohoo about sure. it. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good performance. Yeah, I'm yeah. into it. Yeah, but definitely, if you haven't seen I Never Sang for My Father, it's not a great movie. It's definitely like a play that's been turned into a movie, but it's um, her, she's great in that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great Estelle Parsons. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I dig it. Yeah. So, oh, oh, wow, was that it? That was the that was the fifth supporting actress. Jeez. All right. So, here we go. Because, I mean, this is the tie category. Um, our leading ladies of 1968 were... Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter. Patricia Neal for The Subject was Roses. Vanessa Redgrave for Isadora. Barbara Streisand, Funny Girl. Joanne Woodward. Rachel, Rachel. All right. Let us start off with Vanessa Redgrave as Isadora Duncan and Isadora. This is her second of six nominees or uh, nominations uh, coming off a couple years earlier from Morgan. Um, going into uh, Oscar night, this was kind of like a mixed bag for her too. She had the Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama. She won the Cannes Film Festival uh, Award for Best Actress and won the National Society of Film Critics for Best Actress. Um, and then she was nominated for New York Film Critics for Best Actress in Isadora. Again, Vanessa Redgrave plays Isadora Duncan. This is a great biopic. Mm -hmm. This is... Um, it, it, it's told in modern day and in, and in flashback. And it's if you're not familiar with who Isadora Duncan was, she was an American-turned-Russian ballet dancer. Not a ballet dancer, but a dancer in general. Yeah. Who led a very eccentric champagne lifestyle and she was very vocal on her um on her politics and it caused a lot of controversy in america so she moved to france and what what say you about vanessa redgrave here this movie is delightful um this was my first time watching it we watched it together and i didn't really know all that much about isadora duncan all i knew was that she was a dancer and that she died because her own scarf choked her to death. Yeah. And she, Vanessa Redgrave wears a lot of scarves in this movie and they're always like floating in the wind and she's whipping them around and I was always like, because this movie's like really long and it's like, it's like over two and a half hours. Yeah. And I didn't know when it was going to end and so especially like after, <laughs> after we're hitting like the hour and a half mark, I was like, this movie could end any minute because I didn't know her life so I didn't know where it was moving to. And so every time the, the scarf was floating and it got near anything, I was like, oh, shit. And <laughs> it, it, was, it was very suspenseful. Mm -hmm. And Vanessa Redgrave is hilarious in this movie when she really needs to be. Like, her drunk scenes 
are delightful. And there's like a scene where her hat catches on fire and she puts it back on and her hat is literally smoking while she's drunk as fuck at the bar. It is hilarious. Uh, this movie, you say delightful. The first one that comes, or the first word that comes to me is that this movie is delicious. Yeah. It is so wonderful. Now, I had seen this years ago. By now, if you heard our, if you've listened to us in the 70s, you know that I'm not a fan of 1970s Vanessa Redgrave. This is my favorite Vanessa Redgrave performance. Um, this, so we watched this together. This movie is very hard to find. I actually, um, we watched this the same day you and I had watched Gabby, A True Story for Norma Alejandro, which I had seen again. Yeah. We actually had to buy a copy of that. Um, but this, I had to like convince a library down in deep South Ohio to like send to us, and it's only on VHS. And if you can find it, watch this movie because it's 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 so much fun. So it's funny because we double featured Norma. I'm glad we watched Gabby first. I am too. <laughs> because like Brandon and I like quiet like that through all of Gabby, and during Isadora, we're laughing, we're talking. I saw myself so many times in that movie. That movie should yeah. just could have been should have just been called Joey. Because whether she's drunk and then she, she's like talking about how great life is, and then the next scene it cuts to her and she's just like crying over a, like a, like a glass of champagne, or she's looking for a man. I'm like, God damn, this movie is me. Um, but she's wonderful here. Uh, but yeah, it's a very hard movie to find. Mm -hmm. So if you can find it, do yourself a favor and watch it because it is just so enjoyable. Vanessa Redgrave gives us comedy. She gives us drama. She gives us. Uh, she gives us life in this yeah. movie. There's so much juicy gay tea to be spilled in this movie from like her like, like there's this scene where she's she's. <laughs> this is actually a Brandon thing. Um, she's walking with a friend in the street, and someone notices her, and she's like, "Oh my god, go away!" And she she like like ducks down underneath an umbrella that she's carrying. But clearly, if you're the other person, you see her do this. Uh -huh. Like, it's just such a wonderful performance. I really like it. Yeah, well, in that scene, I think the scene ends with her finally confronting the person who's trying to talk to her, and she was like, a minute ago, you were heading that way, and I was heading <laughs> this way, and I think we should continue in those directions, yes. and I was like, I wish I had that confidence, because <laughs> there's so many times where I don't want to talk to people that I see in public, and she's amazing here. I think she's perfect for this, especially given the political stuff, because yeah. Isadora Duncan was a very political person. She became a very... Um, disliked person especially mm -hmm. the united states with her um connections to russia at in this time period and of course vanessa redgrave is infamous now for her oscar speech which she would give about 10 years later mm -hmm. where she got booed for her political ideology yep. and so in so many ways vanessa redgrave is perfect in this role yeah. and i think she shines every step of the way agreed and uh, so i also i work in a I bartend, I work in a, a really quote unquote, I wouldn't say fancy, but it's an upscale cocktail bar here in Cleveland. And so I, I have this thing about naming cocktails off of actresses, like I did the Carol Kane. And recently I actually, um, after viewing this with you, I had to come up with a cocktail for a special and came up with the Isadora Duncan, which is a tequila based cocktail. But the, it, the reason I called it that too, it's, a, it's such a beautiful orange color and she's always wearing this beautiful orange color in the movie. And look at that, it's another big hit. So. <laughs> Um, if you got a movie, I got a cocktail. Right. Isadora is one of them. Mm -hmm. Ready to move on? Okay. All right. So uh, next up, we had Patricia Neal uh, as Nettie Cleary in The Subject Was Roses. This was her second of two nominations, and she had no precursors going into this. Um, in The Subject Was Roses, this is the definition of a play turned into a movie. 
Um, she plays a mother and wife who kind of just gives up on this whole like perfect mother ideology. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah. Sure. Um, and uh, her son has returned home from the war and she just kind of has like a little, I wouldn't say little, but she has a, a breakdown of sorts. Um, not so much like a throwing things breakdown, but it just like, she doesn't know where her life is supposed to go breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about her in The Subject is Roses? So this is a very um, introspective performance. Mm-hmm. It's very like subtle and small in some ways that I think really that it's a really rich performance if you really zero in on her mm-hmm. and you're paying attention to these little tiny details these very specific things that she's doing but um, it's easy to lose her I think especially when Martin Sheen who plays her um, son and um, Jack Allen um, oh not Jack Allen's um, Jack Roberts the guy who plays her husband he was Grandpa Joe and Wow, Willy Wonka. Um, Jack Albertson, I think. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Because they're giving much larger performances than mm-hmm. she is, and so I think it's easy to lose her. But Albertson, if, yeah. Yeah, but if you're really paying attention to her, I think she's giving a really beautiful performance, but it's easy to overlook, unfortunately, due to the nature of the other characters that she's sharing all her scenes with. Yeah. Um, I know some people think that she's in the wrong category here. I'm not so sure. Um, I think... It really rides the line for me. It's one of those trio things where I could see them all being lead. I could maybe see them all being supporting. It really depends. It kind of depends on how you define lead and supporting. But, um, yeah, how do you feel about it? I really like this. Um, I want to really quick hit that. I think she's in the right category. I think if anyone's in the wrong category, it's Jack Albertson here. I think that is like blunt, like Tate O'Neill-style category fraud mm-hmm. role. Um, I think my biggest complaint about this movie is actually Martin Sheen. It just seems He seems very miscast. Um, I just don't believe him as being that age. Maybe it's because I only know Martin Sheen as being old as shit. Um, you don't buy him for the age that he actually no. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I uh, I think Martin Sheen's, I think, the weak link here in the movie. But it is, I think this is a wonderful performance. It's definitely more internal, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not showy at all. And I'm usually one going for the showy performance where you're more of the... Yeah. The internally acted performances but I have no complaints about this here yeah this is um I, I think if she had won a couple years earlier for HUD and mm-hmm. her win was kind of like when Elizabeth Taylor won for Butterfield 8 it was kind of like a medical emergency win yeah. um I think she would have actually maybe stood a chance but to be honest with you I think everyone in this category stands a chance to win same with supporting um but I, yeah, I don't dislike this performance. I think it's a really good one. Um, Patricia Neal, I'm into it. Yeah, so she's actually like the newbie when you consider the transfer. Because Martin Sheen and Jack Albertson play these roles on Broadway. Yeah. And Albertson won the Tony for Featured. So the Tonys considered him supporting. What is with these lead roles in supporting? I, I know the Tonys are a little bit more sticklers about it than the Oscars. I believe they even have like a committee. Maybe they didn't then. But I think now they do where people actually like review the proper category. Um, so yeah, he was considered featured as was Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen was nominated for a Tony. Um, so Patricia Neal did not play the part on Broadway. A woman named Irene Daly did. Mm-hmm. She did not carry over to the movie. But um, yeah, I think Patricia Neal's really good here. I feel like yeah. she and... Is it Jack or Jake? I just had Jack Albertson. I feel like they should be in the same category regardless of what it is. Whether they're both in supporting or they're both in lead, they're kind of equal in the movie, I think. Even yeah. though his performance is bigger, they have equal roles mm-hmm. and roughly the same on screen time. So I think, if anything, they should be matching categories. But um, 
Yeah, I think she's really uh, beautiful here. Okay, let's play a game. If the Academy had switched Patricia Neal and Sandra Locke here, let's that, let's that say, makes more sense to me. It? I think Sandra Locke has more of a presence in Heart than Patricia Neal does in Roses. Maybe. Do you think either of them would have like really Academy wise stood a chance in the opposite category? I think Patricia Neal stood more of a chance in supporting than Sandra Locke did in lead. I don't okay. think I don't think Sandra Locke was ever gonna win this in lead. No, I'm no. I mean, um, for me, she probably would have, but right. I'm that's, not, about, that's not saying anything here. Well, I mean, way. in terms of actual academy yeah, voting, of actual I don't academy. think she ever would have won. But I think Patricia Neal possibly could have taken it. Might have been Ruth Gordon's, especially considering Albertson won supporting actor. I, yeah, think I mean, that's she, true. Yeah. I think it's possible. There's a world where that happens. Yeah, I mean, for me though, for this, I think she's in the right category. I think it's Albertson who's in the wrong category. I, but, le I lean that way. Yeah, that's just me, though. Yeah. So I feel like that as long as they're matching, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I lean, I lean more toward lead. If I'm not mistaken, too, Glenda Jackson played Patricia Neal in the Patricia Neal story when they did a made-for-TV movie oh, of her life in the 80s. I didn't I'm, know that. I'm 98% sure. I'm going to have to seek that out, then. I'm going to have to, yeah, because your love of Glenda Jackson. Yeah. Actually, would, do you want to look that up? Sure. Like, move on real quick? Okay. Because, um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Glenda Jackson. Um, okay, so moving on, we had one of the two winners from this year. We had newcomer, um, nobody's ever heard of her up until this point, Barbara Streisand. Um, she played Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. This is her first of five nominations, but her first of two acting nominations. Um, going into Oscar night, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical and was nominated at the BAFTAs for Best Actress. But that's all. Yep, there she is, Glenda Jackson. Yep, Glenda Jackson played the Patricia Neal in the Patricia Neal story in 1981. Now you have something new to find out. Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm so excited for you to watch that now. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm glad you did. Um, in Funny Girl, uh, again, Barbara plays Fanny Bryce. This is a story of Fanny Bryce about her rise to fame from coming or, for, or from becoming um, kind of like a Hester Street poor Jewish girl to a Ziegfeld girl. Um, kind of broke all the rules, and this is the story of her uh, relationship with her husband who just like wanted to go through all those millions of dollars they had. Mm -hmm. um, your thoughts about Fanny Bryce or Barbara Streisand? I think she's really fun here. This is a really fun nomination. Talk about a film debut. Like, was this her, was this her debut? Debut. Okay, I can't remember Hello Dolly was first or not. I think that was the next. But um, yeah, she's she really like bursts out of the gate with this one. Um, she's hilarious. I love the roller skating scene for some reason. Like, that's the scene that like cracks me up the most. Where she's supposed to be like a roller girl who can't skate, and she's like tripping all over the stage. I think almost goes into the pit. Yep. And she's like making all the other girls fall down. It's really funny. And of course, all these songs are so fun. Like, Don't Rain on My Parade has like stood the test of time, perhaps maybe more than some of the other songs. But this is a really fun, uh, fun performance, um, and I love it. I agree. Yeah. This is um, from the moment we meet her with the perfect hello, gorgeous in the mirror. In the mirror, like it's brilliant. And the fact that she like brought that over to her actual Oscar she's holding it and she again hello gorgeous um it, this is really good um I I I again say that the first half of Funny Girl is way better than the second half and I, I yeah. kind of stand by the fact that Kay Medford makes the second half and that one scene she's got because I find myself not caring for Barbara Streisand after the intermission mm. and I don't know if that's the movie's fault because I don't think that's the act, her acting no, fault. No, I think the movie is lacking. Yeah, it is probably the movie's fault because I'm really into her for the first half and then I just don't care in the second I half. I think the movie kind of loses a lot of its momentum after the intermission. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of split on this because 
I really like her in the first, but I don't care for her in the second. And I, the movie, pl again, plays into that. So I like her in part one. I don't like her in part two. Yeah. I'm going to stick with that. Sure. I guess that's the best way to say that it. That makes sense to me. I think it's partially the movie's fault. Yeah. It, yeah. But Barbara Streisand is iconic. Mm -hmm. I mean, we off because again, we love a good poll here at Academy Queens. Um, a couple of months ago, I posted like, who is the ultimate gay Oscar icon for in a, a musical gay Oscar icon? And Barbara Streisand won this. I wouldn't say a landslide. It was pretty close between her and Judy Garland. But um, yeah, Barbara won. So the gays love her, of mm -hmm. course. Um, but Don't Rain on My Parade is like, if you're a theater kid or, you know, that is your go-to song. If you're Leah Michelle, that's your go-to song. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I dig it. I, I, I take half of it. Yeah, I, I much I much more prefer the the first half to the second. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is great. Um, she became a legend uh, yeah. from this movie, and it's clear why when you watch it. Yeah, and I want to talk about her her time when we actually get to the rankings, if that's cool. Oh sure, yeah. So I think it just makes more sense at that point. Um, okay, so our next uh, nominee it was Joanne Woodward in uh, as Rachel Cameron and Rachel Rachel, your girl from 1973, Joanne Woodward. This is her second of four nominations, but her um, her follow up to her Oscar win for the Three Faces of Eve, which if you've never seen Three Faces of Eve, go fucking do it. Amazing in that movie. But regarding this, um, she wins the Best Actress Golden Globe for Drama, BAFTA nomination for Best Actress, National Society of Film Critics nomination for Best Actress, and wins the New York Film Critics Association for Best Actress. Um, so Golden Globe wise, it became between Woodward and Streisand. Um, in Rachel, Rachel, Rachel plays, or Joanne Woodward plays Rachel, who is a school teacher living at home with her mother, who is a virgin, who experiences sex in the summer of 68, um, who gets, uh, whose best friend gets a big lesbian crush on her, um, and also has an abortion. Hmm. So let's, uh, let's talk about her. This is a really interesting movie for the time. It's a very fascinating kind of raw character study mm -hmm. that you weren't really getting a whole lot, especially when it came to like women's issues. Mm -hmm. It's a very forward movie in that way, and I really admire it. Um, Joanne Woodward is beautiful in this. I think she gives a really remarkable performance. You really feel the pressures that she's under and the stigmas that she's facing and all the horrible things that come with being a woman in a conservative society, mm -hmm. especially when you have her best friend slash lesbian slash coworker situation with Estelle Parsons. Yeah. And that scene where she loses her virginity, I think it's like in the park or in yeah. the woods or whatever it is, that scene is so disturbing to me. Like it's so, you really feel. Did you feel like it. she was being raped? I, I got like a rapey vibe. Um, Even though she's yeah. willing, it's like her character's innocence is being raped from her. The, the vibe is definitely there. Yeah. I think there's definitely an argument to be made there, whether or not she's fully on board with it or whether she's just doing it out of obligation, which of course that becomes a gray area and very tricky. It's a very disturbing film in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to this movie that deserves to be uncovered. There's a lot of meaty, juicy stuff going on here, and it might not seem that way at first, but it's a really kind of tricky movie. Um, to think back to the, to the sex scene, too. I can't remember. I feel like it's there because she is a virgin. Um, isn't there a moment where she actually goes, like, ow? Like, 
Or am I just there might have been. I don't recall it offhand, but there might have been. I feel like there was, and I know this is I mean, it's just a thing. Being gay men, obviously we have anal sex. So Mm -hmm. there are moments even after years of having sex where there's an owl moment. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there was that there because in a weird way I felt connected to that character in that moment because especially I know you know, for women, you're you know, a hymen is being broken and it's very you know, it's in that way, it's similar, not that there's a hymen in gay sex, but it's similar in the, that prospect of pain. So I feel like there was, for me, like a connection in that moment because we've all been there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think, I think now that you mention it, I did kind of feel a similar way while watching yeah. that sex scene because, I mean, not to get like too into it, but there's like preparation mm. that goes into a lot of gay sex, particularly be- between men. I don't know how the female stuff works, but when it comes to... You got to douche. You got to douche yeah. or you got to be on an ice soup diet for like 12 hours. Well, there's that and there's also like foreplay and toys and things to... Right. And poppers and things to help the muscles and do things that are quote unquote unnatural. Yeah. So, and sex can be very difficult for a lot of gay men. It can be a very painful experience and it's very difficult for some people to get to the point where it's pleasurable. Yeah no matter how much they want it to be. Yeah. And so I think watching that scene, I did kind of feel something for her. Yep. Because, I mean, like I said with like earlier, this is a movie that I could see queer culture really grabbing onto, both men mm-hmm. and women, like everyone in the community. Mm-hmm. Because there's really so much going on here that I think a lot of queer people would latch onto and see themselves in. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, Joanne Woodward's weird. I'm glad that you got that too, like watching that, because like I, I, I thought it would have been weird with me bringing that part up, but I did feel that connection as a gay person watching that scene in particular, which is weird again because it's straight sex versus gay sex, but it felt familiar. Yeah. So I'm glad that you got it. You got that too. Um, this is also too, because obviously we've already had 1973 out, but this is the second time a Joanne Woodward movie kind of tackles queerness mm-hmm. and has gone... Under the radar. Sort of. A person who stands the shit out of this movie, Andrew Carden. Oh, really? Okay. Loves Rachel Rachel from what I've seen on Twitter. I don't know if he's Team Woodward here. I have a feeling he is. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think this is... And Paul Newman directed this. Right, which I think is super cool. How do you feel about this getting in for Best Picture, though? I'm okay with it. I think it's a sneaky perform- or per- production. It's not something that you usually think of with Best mm. Picture, but I think there's so much going on here, and it's so forward. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it has the Paul Newman factor, mm-hmm. and Joanne Woodward's a previous, and Joan and Estelle Parsons are both previous winners. Yeah. So I can see the campaign for it, mm-hmm. but I kind of dig it. I'm kind of glad that it got in for Best Picture. Me too, especially, I can't believe Oliver won that year. But like, I think it was that was almost like a turning point for Best Picture to take these independent films of the late 60s and put them in. Because this is independent of the 1960s. Yeah. I think the biggest robbery in this movie, though, is not Paul Newman getting a director nomination. People are like, oh, William Wyler. I'm like, no, 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 Paul Newman. Because um, I think this is great. Mm-hmm. This is great. This is actually a movie where, I, you know, I mentioned, like, I want to see a remake of Faces where I don't want to see a remake of Rachel Rachel. I think it's very appropriate for its time. It I don't know that we, its time. I don't know that we need it today. Yeah. Yeah. But I like it. I do, too. Moving on? Yeah. Our final lady, who was uh, part two of that tie that year, was Catherine Hepburn as Elaine of... Wait, I can't even remember her name. Eleanor? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, see? I can't even... Eleanor Accutane. Jesus Christ, Joseph. Learn how to write. In Light and Winter. This is her 11th of 12 nominees Damn. or nominations. Um, I ain't going over all those. <laughs> I'm about to put my foot down somewhere. 
uh, which is funny because I do Meryl's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama and a BAFTA win for Best Actress. Um, in Line of Winter, again, Catherine plays Eleanor of Aquitaine, who is a prisoner queen to her goddamn husband, played by Peter O'Toole. And she kind of, like, is a pot star with her mm-hmm. sons. Like, because there's moments in this film where, like, she's, she's truly the neck of the family, where she's trying to, like, turn the heads each way. Um, and you don't know if she's doing it, like, deviously or if she's, like, well-mannered and well-meaning. But she kind of, like, has a plan for everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about Catherine Hepburn in this? So she is, like, literally the queen in this movie. She mm-hmm. is spilling tea, and she is reading everyone for filth, and she doesn't give a goddamn. Yeah. She is doing whatever the hell she wants, and she doesn't care whose feeling she hurts along the way. She is marvelous in this. This is maybe, might be my favorite Katherine Hepburn performance. I haven't seen all of her nominated performances, but of what I've seen, this one is really up there. It's my favorite. Yeah. You could say it, because I am. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> I think it's really great here. It kind of makes me want to go back and watch all her nominated performances. I've seen maybe at least half of them, Mm -hmm. but um, this one is stellar. Um, Her lines are so good. Like, you can tell, like, an expert playwright wrote these lines Mm -hmm. because they are, like, expertly crafted, but they also feel so genuine. Like, I could hear someone just destroying someone with that single line it feels so natural but it's also her language is so weaponized in this movie and she completely uses every part of her like verbal utility belt to destroy anyone who comes between her and what she wants and it's amazing yeah i agree there's not a singular moment where i'm bored with her character she's so juicy she's so brilliant um and I love that Catherine Hepburn gave no fucks because here you have an all English cast with all English dialect and all English accents and then you have Catherine Hepburn with her Connecticut accent yes not giving a goddamn now I don't know if I if I've ever done this for you my Catherine Hepburn impression did you do it in the On Golden Pond episode? Did the Mountain Dew thing? I think so. Okay, so I'm just going to do it again because I don't ever know if it's truly good Sneak or not. Sneak peek for our 1981 episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, I, you know, bartend, and I've had a woman who reminded me so much of Catherine Hepburn once because she asked for Mountain Dew. And this is the only way I can ever do to Catherine Hepburn. But, you know, she's always shaking. She's like, do you have the Mountain Dew? And so, like, <laughs> that's... Every time I hear Catherine Hepburn, all I can think of is Mountain Dew because of that. But I just love that that's her accent through the entire thing. Um, And you don't need her to do accent work because she's just fucking Catherine Hepburn. I'd rather her just speak with her natural accent than do an English one and it not be good. Mm -hmm. Because then it would be a distraction and I think it would pull from the character and the the way the lines are delivered. And just just let Catherine Hepburn be Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. This is... um, And this was her third win, but it was second consecutive yeah she won the year before for guess who's coming to dinner right um but this is god damn this is good i actually when i first saw this a couple years ago i kicked myself in the ass for waiting for so long to watch the lion and winner yeah me too because it is brilliant yeah i would say it's yeah it's definitely my favorite Catherine hepburn win and nomination yeah i it's great i want to see it on stage like i know it was a play prior yeah. and i so want to see it revived it Broadway or the West End or wherever and have some of the best actors at the top of their game take on these roles and really kill it. 
Yeah, well, they remade this in the mid two thousands as a TV movie with yeah, Glenn I, Close, and um, I didn't see it. Bitch, you ain't never gonna come as close as you can to this role think, as Catherine Hepburn. I think Patrick Stewart play the Peter O'Toole part. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I needed to after watching this. Nah, nah. This uh, this line, this line in Winter completely satisf- satisfies me in every way, and I didn't feel the need to seek out the the yeah. other version. And we get debut from Anthony Hopkins here. Right. Yeah, but and I um, think uh, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton as yeah. well. Yeah. This is uh, this is really solid. I mm-hmm. like it. I I'm, like it a I'm lot. Way into it. Um. Well, shall we? Okay. Our favorite part. Right. So I should start with supporting then. So as a reminder, your nominees were Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby, Lynn Carlin in Faces, Sandra Locke in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Kay Medford in Funny Girl, and Estelle Parsons in Rachel Rachel. I'm going to go ahead and put Sandra Locke in fifth place just because she probably shouldn't be in this category as great as she is in Heart is a Lonely Hunter and as much promise as I saw in her. I just don't think she should be in this particular category, so I'm going to give her my fifth place slot. I agree with everything you just said. Sandra Locke is in my fifth. Um, as much as I truly enjoy her in this film and she is really good, wrong category. And unfortunately mm-hmm. not her fault, but can't, can't reward her for it. Right. So next, I'm going to give Kay Medford my number four. I think she's a delight in the, what she has to do in Funny Girl. Um, unfortunately, the movie just doesn't give her that many opportunities. And she just doesn't stand out in any way because of that. So she gets my four. I'm actually not going with Kay Medford for four. I'm giving Estelle Parsons number four. Um, just because, uh, while she's good, I just feel like this was a Estelle Parsons playing Estelle Parsons playing a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like anything too wowy. Um, while it while it's good, it's just the last the final three for me have way more to offer. So. Yeah. Well, Estelle Parsons gets my number three for basically those same reasons. Um, the top two that I have remaining, Ruth Gordon and Lynn Carlin, have been duking it out in my mind for the last couple of days. Yeah. And they were my clear one and two from the very beginning. So, Estelle Parsons was honestly never getting above three for me, <laughs> as much as I did kind of dig her in the role. But yeah, I'm Estelle Parsons is my number three. Well, I'm, that's funny because I'm giving Kay Medford the third spot. Um, so we just switch there. Um, I think she's the best part about the second half, again, of Funny Girl. Um, she is truly enjoyable for what she has to do. She plays the role perfectly. And I actually really enjoy her in this movie. I don't think she gets enough credit for this. I think she this is a nominee that could shit on a lot. And girl, post-death, I got you. Yeah. So... So, um, so I have Ruth Gordon and Lynn Carlin left, and like I said, these two have been going back and forth in my mind. There's something I really, really like about both of these nominations, but I'm just going to go with what I'm feeling right now in the moment, and I'm giving the runner-up spot to Lynn Carlin for Faces. I'm going to go ahead and give Ruth Gordon, who won in real life, the Oscar for Rosemary's Baby. Lynn Carlin is transcendent in Faces. Um, it's a remarkable performance. It's crazy that she didn't have more after this, but Ruth Gordon is amazing in every single way in Rosemary's Baby and she's easily one of the best parts of it and she is part of what makes that movie so sinister Mm -hmm. and I live for her and I want to be her for Halloween next year so you need to yeah you need to so Ruth Gordon gets my win for supporting actress I am the same way I went into this knowing who my top two was there was no doubt in my mind that it was Ruth Gordon and uh, Lynn Carlin um and for me, though, there's always been a clear winner. Um, so my runner-up is Ruth Garden, while my winner is Lynn Carlin. There is no doubt in my mind that I love Ruth's win here, even though I wish it went to Lynn. Um, I think Lynn, for a debut, it's fantastic. It's so raw. Again, it's one of those performances where I forget that I'm watching acting, mm-hmm. and 
if you can do that, yeah. like comedy, you got me. And uh, Lynn definitely seals the deal for me here. Uh, Ruth is devious and terrifying yeah. as Minnie. But there's something about the realness of Lynn that sucks me into this movie every time. And honestly, as much as I love the movie as a whole, I think it's Lynn's performance that makes me love it even more. Yeah, I can see it. So, Lynn Carlin, you are a winner, baby. Mm-hmm. All right, so our lead actresses as a review were Vanessa Redgrave in Isadora, Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl, Joanne Woodward in uh, Rachel Rachel, Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter, and Patricia Neal in uh, Subject Was Roses. Um, I'm giving the fifth spot to Joanne Woodward. Um, there is not a bad performance in this group. However, I think for me, she is the least memorable in the group. Um, there's just something I need more from her, even if I felt close to her during what I consider kind of a rape scene in a way. Yeah. Um, the other four are just cling on to me a little bit more. Um, so with that, I have to put her in last place. Yeah, this lead actress lineup is one of those where I feel like I'm ranking my least most favorite to most most favorite because there's I don't dislike any of these nominations. Yeah. But I think I'm going to put Patricia Neal at number five. Um, I guess the other ones just gave me a little bit more as much as I really liked her in, introspective, very subtle, delicate work that she's doing in Subject Was Roses. There was something that was a little bit more memorable about the other four for me. Yeah. Well, I am actually giving four to Barbara Streisand. Um, I don't believe this should have been a tie year, as much as I love that, is, that it was a tie year, um, which is also funny because that means I have her lower than Kay Medford. Oh, wow. Which, honestly, I like Kay Medford a lot better in, Bar than, in Funny Girl than I do mm. Barbara. Um, again, I think I considered... Or, I, again, I considered the first half way better than the second half, and I just don't care for her character in the second half. Um, no matter how good she is, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I think when you come into a, a picture with such a strong presence and you you lose that presence to a to a smaller role, it, there there's a problem I have with that. Um, I honestly considered putting her in last place here, but I remember her more than I do mm -hmm. Joanne Woodward and Rachel yeah. Rachel. So yeah, Barbara is in fourth. My three and four have been going back and forth a lot, but I'm just going to go with what I have here. I'm going to put Joanne Woodward for Rachel Rachel in at number four. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really beautiful performance, and she's doing some really interesting work, especially given the time period in which this movie was made. But um, I guess it's just that thing where these other three that I have remaining just uh, do a little bit more for me. Yeah. So um, Joanne Woodward gets my four. Uh, well, my number three spot is actually Patricia Neal. Um, I really like what she's doing in The Subject of Roses here. I think she's in the right category. Um, she doesn't have to be too showy. This is one of those performances that kind of work for me that are a little more subdued. Um, but she sells, like, the... Like, there's that scene where... Or was she making, like, waffles or something? Yeah. And she dances with her son, and she just doesn't know how to react to him being home. And truly, it almost feels like she doesn't know how to be a mother again. And um, she kind of loses her sense of self. Yeah, and it, you know what? It works for me. Yeah, I'm into it, and I think she did really good here. And yeah, I do think she's better than Barbara Streisand. So oh, wow. Well, my, uh, Barbara Streisand gets my number three. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, legendary, iconic. Insert the word. <laughs> Barbara is it. Um, but um, as a whole. Who I have left, uh, Catherine Hepburn and Vanessa Redgrave, just create um, 
more well-rounded, more riveting characters, I guess, than Barbara does in Funny Girl. And part of that, I guess, has to do with the movie itself. It really does lack in that second half. And if mm -hmm. the second half had been just as strong or stronger than the first half, perhaps she may have been my winner for the year. But the movie just kind of uh, drops her in a way. And she gets my number three spot because of it. Well, I also have Vanessa Redgrave and Catherine Hepburn as oh, wow. my one and two. So we, 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 oh my God, we have the same one and twos. Yeah, we do. Oh my God, we're kind of on the same page here. This is hard. Yeah, these two have been going back and forth a lot for me, just like how Ruth Gordon and Lynn Carlin were. This is fucking hard. Um, because this is my favorite Catherine Hepburn performance, and this is my favorite Vanessa Redgrave performance. Oh, wow. So... I've been like, what the fuck do I do? Because while, yes, we get to talk about Vanessa Redgrave again in the 90s, unless we do like a bonus episode for the later or for the early movies, we won't have another Catherine Hepburn moment. And I'm like, ah. Um, with that said, I'm tying them. This is where the tie should have been. Oh, wow. I'm, guess what? This isn't a part of the regular season. I can use a fucking tie here. And want to know why? Because it's our show. Oh, y'all wanted a twist? Oh, y'all wanted a twist. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Academy got the tie right. They did not get who should have been in that tie right, though. It should have been Catherine Hepburn, and it should have been Vanessa Redgrave. Right tie, wrong actor. Right tie, right tie, half a wrong actor. Right, right. Um, Redgrave is, which is funny because originally you see, I when I ranked this until yeah. we talk about it, I actually had Redgrave as my second and Catherine as my first, but I'm like, I can't do that. There's no way. Um, yeah, this is sublime acting from Redgrave. She gives us the whole spectrum. I found myself seeing myself in her in this role. Uh, this is by far her best performance that she's ever put out, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, regarding Catherine Hepburn, there's just so much shade there as a gay. I can't help but love it. I want I want to go to, to tea with um, Eleanor of Accutane. And Catherine Hepburn fucking nails it. And I love it so much. And there is your tie, ladies and mm -hmm. gentlemen. It should have been Redgrave and Hepburn. What say you? Well, we almost lined up because I'm giving the win to Katherine Hepburn and Vanessa Redgrave gets my runner-up. Wow, I, you're not tying it? No. I'm, gonna, I'm making a decision. Okay. Um, I want to go to brunch with both these bitches. I want to spill everything yes. with both of them because they're both like gay candy in the best way, but in two very different ways. Um, Vanessa Redgrave is such a fucking mess in Isadora in the most delightful way possible. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn is devious and cunning and evil in a way that just tickles my fancy. And <laughs> I, it's my favorite Catherine Hepburn performances of the ones I've seen. Um, and yeah, I, I think the Academy got it right in both categories. I think Catherine Hepburn should have won and Ruth Gordon also should have won. Heard that. Wow, we were really close on lead there. Yeah. Um, wow. You still have yet so far between the 70s and now... The 70s in our two bonus episodes to use a tie. I thought I, you would have tied this. I just keep making decisions. You really do. I could not. I did. I could not. Yeah. I could not have done that. Um, okay, so let's talk the infamous tie. First yeah. of all, I love that we both agree that Barbra Streisand should not have won there. Yeah. That was not. And we both agree that Catherine Hepburn uh, should have either had it solo or in a tie. Yes. Agreed there. Either way, she was getting it. So, um, when you, to become an Academy member, you have to do one of three things now. You have to have either won an, won an Oscar, been nominated for an Oscar, or have at least worked uh, three years in film. And I think you have to be invited. And you have to be invited. Yeah, you can't just like apply to this shit. As much as that would be great. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. 
Um, Can you imagine the cover letters um, to get into the academy? <laughs> seriously. Seriously, it would be great. Um, so at this time, Gregory Peck was president of the academy. Barbara Streisand was filming Funny Girl when he visited set and said... Um, supposedly that she's a star, she's going to be in film, let me just bring her in now. It caused a lot of controversy. He totally broke the rules and bent it for her. Um, come Oscar night, or come Oscar voting, unless you're Sissy Spacek in Missing, where she famously said on Into the Actress Studio, she even voted for Meryl for Sophie's Choice, you're going to vote for yourself. 99.99% of the chance, unless you're Sissy Spacek. Um, so let's just, you know... Uh, clearly, Barbara had that one vote to vote for herself that ended up tying with Katherine Hepburn. Um, had she not been able to vote, we would have never known that she only lost. She would have lost by one vote. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it tied, and it um, Ingrid Bergman, the win, the winners are. It's a tie. Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl and Katherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter. I think she says The Lion in the Winter. Or the Lion in the Winter. Um, Fantastic story. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Um, it also makes me wonder if Barbara Streisand voted for Kate Medford, though. Oh, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt I it. I think she wanted to be the solo winner. Yeah. I think she voted for everything for Funny Girl except for Kate Medford. Um, but yeah, so that's how they tied. Yeah. A lot of people thought there was going to be a second tie this year. With mm. Gaga and Close. Yeah. Like, the, even though the Critics' Choice had tied before with like Meryl Streep in Doubt and... Um, and Hathaway and Rachel getting married. Mm -hmm. People honestly thought it would be, and it would have been weird because it would have been mathematically. Like 50th... That's so unlikely. And there's like yeah. thousands of members of the Academy now. So, yeah. like, I mean, it's of course possible, but it's the numbers are not in favor of a tie. But could you imagine a tie in the same category fifty years apart? Oh right. Now we did get a tie in like 2012 or 13 in the sound category. I think Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty tied, but we haven't had an acting one in decades in 51 years yeah and i need it i need it and it also makes me wonder like who came in last i i almost wonder who came in last more than i more than who was the runner up yeah i wish i wish when the WikiLeaks were leaking everything in hollywood that they would have tapped into um because they have to have something documented. Well, I'm sure they've got it somewhere. It's in a vault. They're not like counting the, the ballots and burning them. I'm sure someone yeah. knows somewhere. It's in a vault somewhere. Definitely. But um, bonus episode, yo. Mm -hmm. I'm into it. I am too. Um, so yeah, so we're actually recording this on Wednesday the 12th. You guys are going to hear this very shortly because we're releasing it today as well. And uh, yeah, come Monday, season two, class yeah. of 1980. We're back. Get ready. We're back, baby. Surprise, bitches. You thought we were dead. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Um, but no, I'm really excited for season two. It's it's coming in a couple days. We've worked really, really hard. It's also nice that we're also going to be able to take a little break here. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of work goes into this podcast. It, it does. Some some years we have to watch ten movies just for one episode. Yeah, yeah. It's so, always nice when there's multiple nominees from one movie. Yeah. But um, we will be back in production after July 15th, I believe, is the date that we had scheduled on. Something like Something that. Something like that. We'll figure it out again. Um, but we got a lot of guests coming up for season three, but we also have some guests coming up in season two. Yeah, we have a couple. Yeah. So it'll just be nice to take a little sabbatical, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah, can't wait to uh, hear from you guys. Oh, and a big thank you, too. Our last bonus episode became our highest downloaded episode of all time. Yeah. Um, we reached South Africa, the Philippines because of it. We wow. were actually trending 
in iTunes because of that episode. Oh, were we? We were. It oh, was wow. at the very bottom, but we still got in there for the trending, which we was really cool. Um, so thank you guys so, so much. And uh, yeah, we appreciate everything. Um, by the way, as much as we appreciate it, fuck you guys. So a couple of days ago, I did it, but like, let's do something fun for season two. And like, let's do a Q&A. What do you guys want to hear? What do you guys want to know about us? Reddit, ask me anything. Yeah, just ask anything. Nothing. Y'all hate us. It's okay. Y'all don't want to know anything. No, 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 no. Don't Except what we're telling you in the episode. <laughs> no, because that's... Which, which get... I guess that's a good thing, because maybe we're just giving them all they need. Yeah. We're giving them all the content they desire. Fuck, we talked about anal today, so... That's true. We do. We give them a lot of info. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, guys. We will see you next week in Season 2. Uh, I'm Joe Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And this is a big bye. Bye. <laughs>